broadcasting from the confines of an abandoned radio station in the secluded apartment building of high strangeness. From the foothills of the Colorado Rockies, it's time for full disclosure of the topics they told us were off limits. Hey there, I'm Connie Willis. This is Coast to Coast AM. Tonight, vortexes and life underground. So turn off those lights. Join me for another interesting evening of conversation, much needed education, and a chance that we might get a little closer to the truth of what lurks amongst us and what is beyond. I'm Connie Willis, and this is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Coast to Coast AM. Hello there, Connie Willis with you. Fall is here, snow in some places. Know some people up in Alaska sending pictures of snow. I like that. I actually like snow. I think it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But I'm still liking the fall. I like that all the cities across the country, they're starting to do their light-ups with uh, all the Christmas lights and things like that. I love that. It's so nice. It's so fun. So beautiful. Don't like it too cold, but... You know, got to go where there's a dry cold. There is a difference. I grew up in Kentucky all my life and also even in Florida where, you know, 70 degrees can be really cold if, you, if, you, if you're if you used to it down there. But the, the dry and the cold or dry and the wet cold really do matter. They really do make a, a difference. If you're into the areas where it's a wet cold, it's just to the bone. You just cannot get warm. But if you're somewhere where it's a dry cold, hey, especially the sunshine shining down on you, Colorado, I'm telling you, it's a great state to go for the sunshine as well. And I I can say that after 20 years of Florida too. It's true. It's true. So, hey, I'd love for you guys to join me. Now, tonight, we've got, I got two of my great friends on tonight. However, please join me at ConnieWillis.com where I take you to live investigations of haunting, strange lights, and Bigfoot. And that is Blue Rock Talk, so I hope you'll become a Blue Rocker. Also, have a drink with me at Connie After Dark. That's a live virtual bar, and we have a good time there as well. We have Connie Willis, the podcast. It's coming back. I know you guys are you're, you guys are getting on my case, and I got people lined up ready to go. And that's great, too. Go over there and sign up, though, because you might want to catch up before we start. Just I just start banging them out again. I got some really neat surprises for you, and I appreciate that you guys are asking for me, and you're also signing up to uh, my newsletter. So just go to ConnieWillis.com. You'll find everything there. Do not go to the other Connie Willis. I mean, she's cool. She's an author. She's great. She's big. She's huge. But uh I'm the .com one. It's funny. We get each other's information and emails and stuff like that. She's a .net. I'm a .com. But I will have her on here in the future, and I look forward to it. That's going to be, that's going to be interesting to finally meet and talk with the person that gets a lot of my email and vice versa. And we send it back and forth to each other. At least we have along the way. So I'm excited. The two guys that we talked to tonight here on Coast to Coast, um, uh, Tom Powell is later on. He's going to be talking about uh, life underground. And hey, I'm right there with him. So I'm really looking forward to that. Great guy. And before that, we're going to talk to Joe Hauser, who I actually met him and Tom, I think maybe even together at the same exact time at uh, Dr. J's first uh, conference that he had. I th- I, I think uh, I think so. that's how that worked out. But I know that, uh, well, I'll ask him when we get together because I, I spent a lot of time with Tom. He taught me a whole lot of things, and uh, we'll talk about that later on. But let's go ahead, and we'll get Hauser up here. He grew up in Southern California, 
He's uh, has a background in biology, applied physics. He had jobs with the California Department of Fish and Game, California State Parks, spent 10 years doing environmental consulting for power companies in the western United States. And it all started at 13 for him. He had his first UFO sighting. And from there, he became curator with the BFRO. In 2004, he spent a year traveling the United States researching Bigfoot sightings, UFOs, and orbs. He's one of us, you guys. The research led him to a, a rundown roadside attraction called the Montana Vortex and House of Mystery. You guys know that, and that's probably where you might just know him the best. And you can go check that out at montanavortex.com. By the way, you can also go to the Coast to Coast AM website and you can see some pictures that he's posted for us as well. Just crazy stuff that you see there. And I think, I'm not sure, but I think this might even be the first, he's a first time guest, I believe, here on Coast to Coast AM. So that being said, welcome, Joe Hauser. Hey, thank you, Connie. And yes, I am a first time guest. I can't believe it. How have you been overlooked? I don't know, but I'm glad to be on. It's going to be well, a good we'll time. Be, <laughs> we'll have to. We'll have you on more for sure. There's no question about that. You have done some great investigating, but also most people really. I don't know if most people, but uh, the Montana uh, vortex that's huge. That's with you. There's no question. And I'm looking forward to going there myself one day. The pictures that you get are just absolutely amazing. But, I mean, what about your background? Tell us a little bit more about that and how it does kind of work with uh, – uh, it, it It seems to me with your background and that you're dealing with the vortexes that there's a little bit of science involved in there too, which makes a lot of other people go, ha-ha, it's not so woo-woo, which, you know, I hate that phrase. I hate that phrase. Right. Well, basically, just what you said uh, – <clears throat> I've uh, had a varied background. I've done quite a few different things, but I've always been interested in uh, paranormal and the mysterious, going all the way back to when I had my first UFO sighting. And it didn't hurt that I had a dad that was into that, too. And oh, excellent. He had grown up in Colorado, uh, right next to the San Luis Valley. And so he was Ooh. exposed to all kinds of different uh, paranormal things there way back in the 1930s as a kid. So by the time I came along, uh, and he'd take me out, and we'd actually go out looking for UFOs and different things like that. So I've, I've had almost most of my life I've been involved in some sort of paranormal research. I love that. You know what? My my mom was my supporter in it. My dad didn't believe in any of it. But I know the day he passed, the day he passed, I know that he was like, ha, ah, I got it, Connie. You're right. You're right. But yeah. my mom was into it. And it helps to have a parent to support you. It does. Yeah, it makes it easier. And it was a lot of fun, too. We had a lot. We had, I mean, the first UFO we saw, we were actually on a Treasure hunt, looking for Joaquin Marietta's lost gold down in. Oh, uh, excellent! <laughs> and uh, this Mexican lady had told us that there was uh, UFOs or these strange lights that would fly in and out of this mountain. So camping out in the desert, um, sure enough, we we saw several uh, white lights that just flew right out of the mountain and took off, and we're in the Milky Way in no time. Oh, that's good. You didn't see just a uh, light in the sky that maybe just zoomed by a little bit. You saw it go from behind a mountainside and up. That's right. that's nice. Right, right up in wow. the Milky Way. 
Wow. And, and we see the same sort of thing here. It's kind of interesting. I've come full circle at the vortex. Uh, Columbia Mountain is the mountain that's right across from us. And the part we see is about 6,500 foot high. And from just from the first week we were here, uh, we started seeing UFOs fly in and out of the mountain or UAPs, whatever you want to call them. UFOs, and, UFOs. Uh, I'm old school. UFOs, UFOs. Yeah, UFOs, <laughs> I agree. And... Uh, <clears throat> So, and that's something that we we see on a regular basis. And then after I got more involved in the community and stuff, and people started coming in, I found out that Columbia Mountain has been a UFO hotspot, going all the way back to the when the pioneers first got here. They were seeing strange things fly in and out of the mountain too, and there's still people seeing them today. It seems like to me that ever since anything has been recorded, written down, drawn, or able to be, uh, there's always stories of this. It's just always been recorded, right? Right. And uh, we have people come in all the time and tell us, oh, I was coming back from work last night at 10 o'clock heading up the canyon, and there was a great big orange ball of light sitting over the vortex and um, stories like that. And as a matter of fact, last Wednesday, Wednesday morning about 4.30 in the morning, a couple miles up the road, a, a friend of ours, a guy that we know, uh, he saw his. there was a bright light coming in his window, and he couldn't see what was causing the light. So he went outside, looked up in the sky, and here was four lights uh, surrounded by a white, almost like a white orb. And the orb was pulsating enough to light up his window. And then he watched it for a while. Then he went inside and got his hunting spotting scope and threw it on there. And it had um, blue, green, yellow, uh, all different colored lights that was causing the pulsing. And that's interesting because Tammy, my wife Tammy and I, uh, we have seen the same sort of thing. We um, <clears throat> Actually, this year, we saw one of those type of uh, craft come up out of the mountain, park itself, and we could see all the different uh, colored lights on it. We have very... Um, strong, high-powered binoculars. And then we also, if we're outside, we have night vision scopes too. But we can see them blinking. And then um, we call them sentinels because usually when they come up out of the mountain, other UFOs come flying into the mountain. Interesting. You know what? I With the UFOs that I've seen along the way, I've seen beams of light come off of them. I've seen more of white. But there there were two different times I saw colors. One was a reservation right around the Four Corners, and it was New Mexico. And then and, and the other one was actually by Dulce, at, at Dulce. Those mm-hmm. are the only times I've seen the colored ones. Um, that Yeah, hmm. What do you think of that? I mean, I guess it goes back to the Sentinel. Well, the, yeah, the colored ones seem to be here a lot, and uh, we, like I say, we have observed them just come right up out of the mountain and then just park, and sometimes they'll move left, right, and sometimes they go back in the mountain, sometimes they just take off and go up into the Milky Way, but if you glanced at them with your naked eye and you saw the colors, the the reds, the blues and whatever, you would just, we call it hiding in plain sight. You'd glance mm-hmm. at it, you think it's probably an airplane up there, and you wouldn't pay any attention to it. But once you become aware of it and you start watching it, then you can see that uh, there's something going on with them. 
And that is a secret right there when you become aware of it. Because a lot of these things you just blow off, you know, just being human, just blow it off. Oh, that's a plane. That's a helicopter. That's this. That's that. But once you're aware of different things up in the sky as well as within the woods, that's when you can start recognizing the things that people say don't exist. Once you're aware of what to look for. And that's it. You, you have to be observant. We Here at the Vortex, we're really observers. Mm. I mean, we can measure the energy field and do all kinds of things like that. But all of the paranormal activity that happens here is based on our observations and, and, and being observant of everything that's going on, being aware of, of what's around you and stuff like that. It's like I tell my guys, we've had, over the years, we've had uh, many glyphs that have been left on the ground here on our gravel trails. And we suspect they're glyphs uh, from Bigfoot. And my guides will go out and rake the trails in the morning, get ready for the their tourists that come in. And then five minutes later, you walk back right to where they have raked, and here's a nice little glyph, stick glyph on the ground. Oh. there five minutes earlier. And so once they're here for a while, and some of my employees have been with me for a long time, uh, they become very observant and they start seeing those kind of things. I love this that. Those are the rocks. coolest things of all. I'm yeah, sorry? This, this year it was rocks. And we we think it could be the juvenile Bigfoot that are playing tricks on us. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the one of the demonstrations areas we have, we call it the shrink and grow platform, and um, <laughs> the, the tourists go down a trail. They listen to an introduction, then they work their way back up to the house of mystery. And the guides will meet them there, and let's say I'm the guide down there that's going to meet them. And as they come up, I greet everybody, and then I'm starting to talk. Well, the first thing we do when we get down there, we sweep, we sweep off the cement platform of gravel that might have get, gotten kicked up from the last tour, and it's all clean and ready to go for this tour. Well, I swept it off. I turned around, and there's a rock sitting right in the middle of the platform, maybe about three inches across. And I think, well, that's kind of strange. There's no rocks around here like that. So I kick it out of the way. And then next time I go down to do a tour, I do the same thing. I sweep it off. I turn around, and there's a rock there. And this happened like four or five times over a, like a 10-day period. And I told my one of my guides about it, hey, have you seen any rocks on the platform after you sweep it off? And he goes, yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. I swept it off just like the last tour, and I turned around, and there's like a three-inch round rock there. And I said, okay, well, there's something going on. So this went on off and on all season long. These rocks would just show up out of nowhere. And towards the end of the season, there were some young people here on a tour, and we were they ended up we ended up talking about Bigfoot after the tour and stuff, and some of the UFO stuff that's happening. And I told them, I go, well, this is something strange that happens. Rocks end up on the platform after I turn it off. And I wish I could have had it on video because instantly this girl, she's probably about 20, well, a young woman, about 25 years old. She just goes, oh, my God, I didn't want to say anything. But while you were standing there, I saw this rock just appear on the platform out of nowhere. Oh, wow. She got got all excited and stuff. And she goes, oh, She's like, oh, my God, I wish I would have said something, but I thought everybody would think I'm stupid that a rock just appeared on the platform. And she goes, you turned around and just kind of kicked the rock over by the speaker pole there. And I go, yeah, I remember that. So she actually saw a rock just appear out of nowhere. 
Oh, man, good for her. That is, that's a rare thing to actually see that happen in front of you. Usually you turn around and then you turn back around and there it is, like you're talking about. Now, you know, whenever I go out Bigfooting, the last thing I want really is, except for doing the show and talking about it, is having cameras out in all directions to where, you know, they're not going to come around you because there's too many, there's cameras around you. Uh, I, that's part of my belief, right? You feel the same way? So, so it's hard to get those rocks just coming and going, you know, because you'd have to have a camera out. What, yeah. Tell me what you feel about that. You know, for years, I, I, before I got to Montana, I used game cameras a lot in California. And when I first got here, I used them here too. And I I never had any success with them. Um, I went way down in a primitive area behind the vortex one time and I put a game camera on a trail. And I went back uh, about four days later, and there was a big birch log across the trail, about 20 foot from the game camera. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And there was some dead standing birch. I thought, well, maybe it could, uh, it, one of them fell off. So I moved, there was nothing on the game camera. I moved it down about 100 yards. I went back a week later, and here's a dead birch log across the trail, about 20 foot from the camera. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. And there's still some deadfall that it could have, could have fallen on it. So I moved it down further, and same thing happened. A week later, another birch log across the trail. So I thought, well, somebody's trying to tell me something. So I went way down. I found a <laughs> meadow, and there was a couple fir trees out in the middle of the meadow, and it was all grass. So I walked out there. I put the game camera on one of these fir trees, went back a week later, and sure enough, about halfway out in the meadow on the trail that I walked on is a birch log. So it's kind of like, well, they're telling me they know I'm putting up a game camera and they're putting a log across the trail. I was like, no, don't do that because we know you're here. You're not going to get a picture of us. Agreed. Absolutely agree to all that. You know, at one point I, I just was like, you know, if I catch one, I catch one. If not, not. But I, I just want the experience and the communication alone and then be able to talk about it. And I know most people, well, it's just another story. It's just another story. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> it's a real story. It's genuine. I'm not here to convince you. I'm here to experience it myself. And this is wonderful. This is absolutely incredible. So uh, I, I'm, I follow the same thing uh, when it comes to those things. Tell us a little bit about... Um, uh, well, I don't want to get into it yet because we're going to go into a break, and I know you have a lot to say about that. But but I know it's not just about Bigfoot. I know it's not just about vortexes, not just about UFOs. I mean, there's all sorts of other creatures and entities and, and other things that I know that I have been seeing along the way. And I know in the situation that you are, because you're out in it constantly, you have to be seeing things too that you, it seems like, Maybe I, I'm the one to label that because no one else has seen that yet. And then months later, somebody else will see it. But it, it's always good to at least tell people when you see something new, describe it to see if someone else has seen it as well as when you're going to see it again. Well, one of the things we see here that's different between the Bigfoot and the UFOs and stuff is Thunderbirds. And we've had uh, several oh. Thunderbird sightings on the grounds. I call them Thunderbirds for lack of a better word, and um, they usually come in from the north. They never fly. They glide across the center of the big vortex here, and uh, they're usually maybe 100 foot above the tree level. The first time one came in, one of my guides, and uh, he had about 20 people with him, they all saw it. 
They described it as a, having a wing. It was black, a wingspan of about 30 foot. It had a long pointed like beak on it, um, almost like a raven's beak, but not curved. And they just saw it. Nobody had time to take a picture of it. It just glided right over top of them, and then it disappeared. So it comes into the ether for a very short current period of time. Uh, the same guide, uh, about a month later or two months later, again with a group of people, saw another one, described it exactly the same way. And then over a period of time, we've had uh, five other sightings on it. And even my wife, Tammy, has seen one, too, uh, out in the parking lot a couple of years ago. And uh, it was brown rather than black. But earlier in the day, uh, another lady had seen a brown one, too. So, Joe Hauser, we're talking to him, owner of the Montana Vortex and House of Mystery, researcher, adventurer, treasure hunter, and more. Um, stay with us. You'll learn more, too coast to coast welcome back it's coast to coast am that you're listening to hi there i'm connie willis please join me at my shows at ConnieWillis.com. love for you to join and uh, at least sign up for the newsletter that'd be nice joe hauser is our guest owner of the montana vortex in the house of mystery first time guest with us he is a vortex expert a sasquatch researcher an adventurer a treasure hunter yay also a public speaker as well uh, I love that treasure hunter part of it. I want to I want to go out and find a meteorite, and I want to find some gold at some point, Joe. I, those are some of the things on my list to do. Have you done those yet? Uh, I, I've been a gold miner for 30 years in California. I still mine gold when we go down to the desert in Arizona in the wintertime. And um, my wife, Tammy, found a meteorite in the desert using a metal detector, uh, a small one. Uh, about two years ago. So occasionally uh, you do find them down there. So fun. I just love that. That's uh, so fun. Well, tell us about the Montana Vortex and the House of Mystery, what it is and, and how that even came about. Well, it, the, the Vortex uh, was discovered in, officially discovered in 1970 by a lady by the name of Marta Chauber, and she had no idea what she discovered. She just knew from time to time her and all her friends and relatives would feel weird or get dizzy standing on this hillside. And they'd bring their friends in, and, and they thought it was kind of weird. And eventually they figured out uh, they had an energy field, some sort of energy field. They could feel it. And somebody told them about the Oregon Vortex uh, over in Gold Hill, Oregon, and said, yeah, we've been over there before, and it's the same sort of feeling. And so they went over, checked it out, and once they talked to the people there, they were kind of convinced that they had the same thing. So they came back and they developed an attraction, called it the House of Mystery. And it's been an attraction, uh, cleverly disguised as a roadside attraction, for about 53 years. And I bought it. When I bought it, the third owners had it, and they just looked at it as a roadside attraction. They'd charge people like five bucks to go down, run around the House of Mystery, get dizzy, feel the energy, and come back up. And I had spent a lot of time in Sedona at the Vortexes there. And so when I came by, I, I saw the sign that said Montana's only Vortex. And we stopped. We went in. They didn't do any tours. We went down. And sure enough, on the trail walking to the House of Mystery, we could feel the energy. And then we did the first demonstration, and that was pretty cool. And then we went inside, and as soon as I went inside, you could feel the energy inside the House of Mystery. It was unbelievable. And people feel it today. I'd say 98% of the people that come here will feel something. It affects people in different ways. 
Anyway, I went, when I came out, I, I kind of, there was like a hole underneath the house, and I got down on my hand, hands and knees, and I looked down there to see if there's any wires or anything, and there wasn't. And so I, I went up and I asked the lady, I go, hey, where's the switch where you turn on the energy field? And she's like, oh, no, it's real. And so I started asking her all kinds of questions, and she really didn't have the answers to them. And then finally she said, uh, well, if you're really interested, my husband and I have been here 10 years, and we want to retire, and we'll sell it to you. I said, well, I might be interested. And so after a couple of weeks of more investigating and stuff like that, uh, I ended up uh, buying the Vortex from him. And at that point in time, I was convinced that there was, based on the paranormal things we observed and filmed and stuff in the three weeks or so we were here, I was pretty well convinced there was something going on here. I wonder how many so people she's board. had come up and ask her, uh, "Hey, where's the where's the uh, switch to this?" Oh, I know. <laughs> did, she, yeah. did she look at and, you like uh, you smart? Like, <laughs> yeah, she's like, "No, no, it's real." <laughs> uh, she gave me a book though from a guy by the name of Nick Nelson, and and Nick had been studying these vortexes uh, for years. And I, I read his book and I contacted him, and he turned out to be a, a probably a very knowledgeable person about him. Yes. And I convinced him to to come over here and work with me. And when he got here, we ended up discovering all kinds of cool things. And we developed a guided tour. We show about we show people about eighteen different demonstrations in the energy field. We teach people how to see their own aura, play with their own energy field. We have a labyrinth you can walk. And it's both um, it's both scientific and it's metaphysical too. And when I say scientific, we're basically here we're experiencing quantum physics at the macro level where you can see it and experience it, versus looking at uh, electrons and photons uh, in a in the micro environment. Uh, so it is a measurable electromagnetic energy field. That's uh, what you would call a transient field in that it goes up and down every day. And the most uh, we've measured here in terms of milligoss, on, on an average day, anywhere you go in the country, you're going to get four, five, six hundred milligoss of electromagnetic energy. And the most we've measured here is 49,560 milligoss. And needless to say, on that day, everything was buzzing. Uh, hmm. So um, very dynamic energy field. So what's it mean? I mean, what what is it? Is it because uh, I've heard so many different stories of the way people describe vortexes. And I've, I, and with yours, by seeing your pictures, when people take a picture when they're within it, they, they sometimes you see a Bigfoot in the picture. Sometimes you see other entities of some sort or something strange. It is is it thought to be like a doorway? It is, yeah. I, well, that's another reason I bought the property was to investigate the possibility of interdimensional portals. And shortly after I got here, I started interviewing uh, the Black uh, Blackfeet tribe, the elders, many elders from the Blackfeet tribe. And they, uh, most of them told me the same thing, uh, that the Blackfeet were probably, generally it's believed that the Blackfeet were the first uh, people to discover the energy field. They knew there was something there, and they treated it, treated it as a spot to be honored or a sacred spot. But they all told me the same thing. One of them, a longstanding bear chief, he said when he was a small kid, 
his uh, grandparents would come through here every once in a while, and there and there was it was just all trees and stuff. There was nothing, no buildings on the grounds. And he said there was a little two-track road that came down, uh, like where the gift shop is now, and they would pull down in there, and they'd get out and they would uh, they'd make offerings. They'd say their prayers and they'd drum and they'd sing a couple songs. Uh, to creator and to the grandfather and grandmother spirits that they believed of, of their uh, ancestors that were still here. But he said they also, his grandmother used to always warn him, don't go down there. It's a place of no return. If you go down there, you won't come back. And all, all of the elders that I talked to said the same thing. They believed it was a portal uh, into another dimension or another world. So what's and the difference uh, between a portal and a vortex? Well, the vortex is a swirl of electromagnetic energy, and it's well-defined. The energy spirals in uh, what would be called a Fibonacci spiral. Do you physically see it? uh, You can't see it. Some days you can. If you're looking just right, you you can see the lines of energy, and some people can see it more than others. But on a general basis, no, you can't see it. But most people will can feel the lines of energy as they cross them. And we found that some people are so sensitive to the energy uh, that they have actually been able to walk out the spirals. Mm. And in some of these places were originally discovered. Uh, somebody in the tribe or, or the group uh, was that sensitive to energy, and they figured out they were spirals. And if you look at pectoglyphs all over the world, you see these spirals starting in the center and spiraling out. And that, that's a good example of what it would look like. And they're very well defined, uh, the lines are. But we've also found out that there's another energy here that is not quantifiable. And you could be walking down the trail and you'll hit a spot and you'll go, oh, my God, there's something here. And I walk over and I feel it. But we get different meters and we can't measure it. And that's the one of the mysteries. Uh, where is that energy coming from? Um, and is it coming from another world, another dimension? We just don't have the technology to measure it in this dimension. But there's definitely another energy here, too. When they had said, don't go in that area, it's the land of never coming back situation, Is did, did anybody ever go where that was and come back? Um, most of the elders I talked to at the time said they just stayed out of the area. And, uh, and a few years ago, I had the opportunity to talk to a lady who was born in a log cabin right uh, right next to Columbia Mountain across the road from us. And uh, <clears throat> she was in her 90s, and I had kind of put the word out to some of her family members that I would like to talk to her. And she said growing up there that uh, they would see – they lived on the other side, you know, like, oh, maybe three, 400 yards away. She said it, where you're at over here was just a strange place. They'd see strange lights. They'd hear strange sounds. Um and even she said all of the Native American elders that came through then that would work for her grandfather uh, would tell them, no, don't go over there. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a place that you guys don't belong at. So, so nobody ever went. That made it kind of interesting. Pardon? So nobody ever went. So we don't know. She said when they were kids, they'd avoid the area. Um, they just avoid They could it. feel, she said, sometimes we'd go on the outer edge and walk around it to go down to the river and swim and uh, catch salmon when the salmon were running. The river, the mm-hmm. flooded river, is right behind us. 
But she said most everybody just avoided the area because over years the the stories just kept growing about all the strange things that happened there. See, now, this is what I would do. Tell me if if you think this is a good idea. So I would, like, wrap this, like, leather thing around my body and tether it to another person and let them do it. And that person would be Ron Moorhead. I'd let him be in front and let him go first and then see see what happened to Ron. <laughs> so you and Ron are yeah, good friends. And <laughs> Interesting you say that. Ron and I have good, are good friends. We've been friends for well over 20 years. And uh, when I first got here, Ron came out to visit me at the Vortex. And he's been here several times. And, and Tom's been here. Tom Powell's been here a couple of times, too. But... Uh, <clears throat> Anyway, uh, it was early in the spring, and uh, I had uh, we had come back from Arizona, and we had some still snowdrifts around. So every day I'd get up in the morning, I'd check all the snowdrifts for prints. I was looking for Bigfoot prints. And then around 5 o'clock at night, I'd go back and check them again. So I'd have a time frame. Well, one morning I got up, and I found some 16-and-a-half-inch uh, Bigfoot prints that were coming up from the river area and uh, had walked across this snowdrift, and it was about 10 degrees outside, and I, I, I'm 240 pounds. I couldn't even make a dent in the snowdrift. It was frozen solid. Yet here's these uh, great footprints. And so I followed them a little ways, and I, I lost them. They got into uh, out of the snow, and I couldn't find any more. So I thought, well, they had to come from somewhere. So I went down the hill, and as soon as I got down at the hill, I found a shelter, and it had... Uh, a log had been placed in the V of a tree, and then one whole side had been completely piled up with barks and leaves and sticks and stuff, so it closed it off. And uh, <clears throat> it looked like it was big enough for two uh, two Bigfoot to be in there. Well, when I got down there, I found 19-inch prints in, uh, in the snow down there. And I also found five dead deer carcasses around the shelter. And each of the carcasses had been stripped down to the bone. And nothing had scavenged them. They were, they were just there. Um, so the next day, Ron showed up. And I took him down here, showed it to him, showed him the tracks and everything. And, and he agreed, man, this has got to be a Bigfoot shelter. I mean, there's five deer carcasses and, and tracks around and stuff like that. And we both started talking about it. It was early spring. And so we figured that the smaller tracks were probably um, the female. The larger 19-inch tracks were probably the male. And, and perhaps it was a birthing shelter. Um, Early in the season, in the spring, um, maybe they created the shelter to, for her to give birth in, although we didn't find any evidence of that. And later on, I took a black light down there to see if there was any blood or anything else. But um, maybe a, a, just a birthing shelter, and while she was giving birth or going through the whole process, maybe he was um, supplying them with food during that period of time. But Ron's been here several times, and, yeah, he'd be a good guy to send into the vortex. <laughs> Tether him up and say, hey, you go first. Tell, let us know what it's yeah. like. <laughs> Some of the pictures, uh, I couldn't get the pictures to come up on my thing, but I put one picture on there of a swirl of energy, like just swirling around. And you could create that, you know, with your phone. Some people say, oh, you could turn your phone sideways and get that. But we get those kind of things almost every day. And some of the other pictures that are on there, too, I mean, 
I'll get people that will send me, you know, eight or nine or 10 pictures and they'll go, I, you know, on my trip to Glacier Park, I took like 400 pictures and only the ones I took of the vortex were messed up. What's going on? And we hear that every single day. Uh, it affects cameras. It affects electronics. It drains the energy out of uh, batteries. Uh, you can move over two feet and your batteries come back to life, move back to where you were, and your batteries are gone. So it does all the typical things that you hear of these kind of uh, energy fields. So when, uh, when, the picture you see I'm on sorry. there are all, all legitimate. Um, did you have when, the one on there with the big uh, circle on top of the mountain? Um, I can't remember. I can't remember what they chose. No, I don't think so. But I remember that picture, and that was beautiful, by the way. So, I, but I don't think that's on there because we okay. needed a caption. I don't think there was a caption under it. Let me, let me, let me ask you this: the vortex, the energy. I mean, obviously, when you're around it, you can tell if it's there or if it, it if it's stronger than other times. But do you ever? I mean, when you're not there, do you know any? I mean, that's so hard to answer that because when you're not there i'm just wondering you know a lot of times it, it, i just wonder if it's conscious enough to know hey they're here i'm gonna i'm gonna have some energy and they're not here yeah whatever Actually, with the, the, the do you know vortex, what i'm asking the, yeah i understand what you're saying um, we have three vortexes on the property, and the smallest vortex surrounds the House of Mystery. And every day, the energy goes up and down on that. We ride a wave about three, three and a half hours up, three and a half hours down. Mm. And and that's consistent. Uh, and then we have two other vortexes on the ground. So the big vortex, it gets strong anywhere from two to four times a season. And when it gets strong, I don't care who you are. Everybody gets dizzy in the parking lot or the gift shop before they even go on the tour. Mm. Um, but as far as not being here, um, there's a lot of paranormal stuff that happens here. And over the years, we made a decision a few years ago to put in some cameras to catch in specific areas to catch that paranormal stuff. Yes. And I know that's kind of against the whole Bigfoot thing and whatever else, but Tammy and I went down and talked to him and we talked to him just like I'm talking to you. They're here. They're like part of the family, uh, that we don't see them all the time, uh, but they interact with us. And we just went down and told them that we're going to put some cameras in here based on the experiments we're doing. We're not trying to trick you. You know where the cameras are. And uh, if you don't want to be videoed, then don't come in. But if hold, hold that thought. Know. Hold that thought. We'll come back and we'll finish this. I agree with you. and Let them know, hey, here's where it's going to be, but the rest of the area, no, and you can decide what to do. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you're, you're saying. Stay with us. So we got to take a break. MontanaVortex.com is where you can learn more. MontanaVortex.com. We're talking with Joe Hauser of the Montana Vortex and House of Mystery. Stay with us. More to come. And taking your phone calls, too, next on Coast to Coast AM. 